The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for the next level of leadership? It's going to be here before you know it. Today's leaders need the skills, connections, and savvy to become top professionals in their fields. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet people who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, and welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf, and we're going to be joined today by Mike Figliolo. We're delighted that you could join us, and today we're going to be talking about uh, Mike's upcoming book, Lead Inside the Box. Mike's an honor graduate from the United States Academy at West Point, uh, where he graduated top 5% of his class. He served in the U.S. Army as an armor officer, and after several years of leading soldiers in the Army, Mike spent time in corporate America as a consultant at the McKinsey & Company firm and as an executive in various roles at Capital One Financial and Scott's miracle Grow Company. Mike is the founder and managing director of Thought Leaders, He and his team train senior executives at leading corporations on topics of leadership, strategy, communications, and innovation. A highly sought-after speaker and trainer, Mike's delivered his message to thousands of executives and leaders through keynote presentations, classroom instructions, and personal coaching. He's the author of two books, One Piece of Paper, A Simple Approach to Powerful Leadership, and Lead Inside the Box, How Smart Leaders Guide Their Teams to Exceptional Results. I've worked directly with Mike and have the utmost regard for him with regard to his client skills and also just as a a person whose counsel I seek when I'm uh, looking for guidance. So in the context of focusing on helping to improve leaders and what we're trying to do with this show, um, what I would ask if you're returning again is uh, last week we talked about Leadership 2050 and how leaders need to change to um, benefit from the dynamic environment we're, we're functioning in. I would invite you again this week to listen to Mike and think about not only picking up his book, but what can you learn from him that will help you improve the way you lead. So let's um, hear from Mike. Um, the first thing I want to hear understand from you is um, who are you and what do you stand for? Um, Tell us a little bit about you before we go into talking about the book. Yeah, it's first of all my absolute pleasure to be here and reconnect with you, Maureen. It's always it's always a good time to talk about these topics. As far as um, what I stand for, the thing that I hold up as most dear about my professional pursuits is uh, it's a simple phrase and it's light bulb. And for me, the juice is when I go into a classroom or I write a book or a blog post or have an interaction with a leader. When I see that light bulb go on, that I help them understand something or I ask the question that got them to the point of having an insight, that's the juice for me. That's what's fun and rewarding about 
the work that I do. And, and it actually makes it such that it's not really work. Um, it, it's a great time when you see these leaders grow and develop. And the fact that I can be part of that process for them is really what I end up standing for. And I've seen you do that with clients and seen the impact that you make on them. And it is pretty amazing. Um, often I'm talking to someone in the community and they'll, they'll reference a blog post that you made or something and how it's impacted how they behave. Um, so tell me a little bit more about how you got here. How did you go from being an armor officer in the Army to being an author and a leadership consultant? Yeah, it's been a long and winding path. I, I guess the tongue-in-cheek version of it is I have a hard time holding down a job. But uh, <laughs> it's, been, um, it, it's been really interesting, the places I've been fortunate enough to work. So in the Army, I was surrounded by amazing leaders for five years and served with soldiers as a platoon leader. I uh, had a few staff roles and did a little bit of teaching at the end of my military career at Duke University and was teaching folks in the ROTC program. Uh, both at Duke and North Carolina Central University. And that was my first foray into teaching, which I thoroughly enjoyed. And after that, I went into the business world and worked at McKinsey, and I really learned a lot about uh, how to think, how to think strategically. And McKinsey ended up being my business education and just learned a lot of great tools and frameworks and approaches that can be applied to business. My next two stints in corporate at Capital One and at Scott's miracle Grow were great applied leadership labs where I get to take a lot of the leadership skills I picked up at McKinsey and a lot or in the Army and then a lot of the uh, business skills I picked up at McKinsey and combine them in a real-world operating environment. And when I was at Capital One, I started teaching some of the stuff that I had learned at McKinsey, and I found I thoroughly enjoyed my days on the podium, and I was doing that off the side of my desk. And I said, this is something that I'm good at and that I enjoy doing. So after I left Capital One, before I started at Scott's, I started Thought Leaders as a leadership development and training firm. And then I took the job at Scott's. I was doing Thought Leaders off the side of my desk, uh, but it kept calling to me. And eventually I said, I got to go do this full time and uh, went full time with it in 2008. And I am never going back because I am having way too much fun now. (laughs) Yeah, so this is back to can't hold a job. It seems like you have multiple jobs at a time. Um, author, blogger, keynote speaker, consultant, coach. So tell us a story about who you are as a leader. Um, you, you talked about light bulb. If I were working for you, what would I experience? What, what do you like? You know, I, I like giving people room um, and letting them find their way. So giving them the guardrails and saying, look, there's the objective out there. Here are the guardrails. Don't go outside of these. And after that, it's up to you. And it's not always pretty. It's not always fun. There is coaching and development that happens along the way, and I give guidance when they need it or when they ask for it. But I like letting people sort of dictate how they do their own work because they're going to come up with solutions you've never thought of. They're going to do things in a way that will be very different than you might do it. And for me, that also helps me grow as a leader. Probably one of the best examples is when we worked together back in 09 and I put on that big event, uh, Insight, mm-hmm. where I had a bunch of clients come in and I had all my instructors come in for the day. And I think we had about 200 executives in the audience. And this was the first time I had done something of that scale. 
And I had all my instructors come in, and we decided we're going to do seven or eight keynote presentations that day. And the instructors on the team are all really, really different in terms of their style, their approach, the way they think. And this is my firm, so I, and I'm a bit of a control freak. And that day was really hard for me because it was, well, I've got a bunch of really talented people. Uh, I'm going to tell them they're going to talk for 60 minutes and do some Q&A. And beyond that, i got to trust that I hired well. And it was unnerving at times because everybody presents differently than I do, and they approach the material and they approach Q&A very differently than I do. But what was really cool was seeing them thrive and seeing them do it their way, having the direction but taking a different tack. Uh, and the results were phenomenal because audience members were coming up afterwards saying, we love the diversity of your team, the diversity of the views, the different perspectives that you folks bring to bear, and that differentiates you as a firm. So those types of environments are the ones I really enjoy, as difficult as they might be for me as well as for the team members, because everybody grows that way, and we get to learn and experiment um, as we're doing the work. You know, I can say as part of your team on that day, I had always compared myself to you, and um, you're just more dynamic, and I, I struggled with that. So I really appreciated that you encouraged me to play to my strengths rather than trying to be mini-me. Um, made a huge difference in my ability to, to um, be effective and be a contributing member of the team. So now let's shift to um, your new book, Lead Inside the Box, How Smart Leaders Guide Their Teams to Exceptional Results. Interesting title, Leading Inside of the Box, when we have so many people talking about being outside of the box. Um, Why did you decide to write this book? So as far as the title goes, and you know me well enough to know this, I hate buzzwords and jargon, and I really hate the phrase, think outside the box. So the title is a bit of a thumb in the eye to that phrase, uh, to get people to stop because they think they're seeing think outside the box, but they're seeing lead inside the box, which just gets them to pause. But the box is a two-by-two matrix where we're talking about how leaders can lead more efficiently and effectively. And what got me to write it was actually one of my other instructors brought the idea to me, and he said, hey, I've got a framework, was wondering if you thought it would be a good book, you've written a book before, and just wanted to see if it had legs, and we discussed it, and I really liked the concept, and I encouraged him to seek publication, and he generously asked me to be a co-author with him on it, so I jumped at the chance, and Victor and I sat down and banged out the book and um, eventually got it published. What, the reason behind it that I thought was, that I found so compelling was I coach a lot of leaders. I do a lot of executive coaching, and they're always complaining about, gee, I don't have time, I don't have time, I don't have time. And when you dig a little bit deeper, you find out they're not being as efficient as they could be with the way they're allocating their time to the members of their team. So they're doing usually one of two things. Either they're spreading their time around equally, so everybody thinks it's fair, or they're giving disproportionate time to their high performers who are turning out great results. And both of those approaches, Victor and I would submit, are not the best way to allocate your time. Because high performers don't need that much of your time. They're high performers. They're self-sufficient. You should be backing away from them, and instead you should be investing your time in low performers almost disproportionately, because you've got to get them to change their performance. 
And what the book does, what the core framework of the book does, it helps you understand, first, where are you allocating your time? And second, what are the results you're getting to that allocation? And then it gives you the ability to put together a plan to shift your allocation of time to drive better results on the Sounds like a great read, and I'm going to take a break at this moment um, between questions. And uh, for those of you just joining us, this is Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations, and our guest is Mike Figliolo. He's talking about his upcoming book, Lead Inside the Box, How Smart Leaders Guide Their Teams to Exceptional Results. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back. You are joining Voice America and Inspiring Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. We're um, here with Mike Figliolo and talking about his recent book, 
Lead Inside the Box, How Smart Leaders Guide Their Teams to Exceptional Results. So, Mike, what do you hope readers take away from the book? What I'd love to see leaders do is really examine how they're spending their time and and question if it's the right allocation, as well as have a plan in place for all the members of their team, because everybody needs an individualized approach to how you're going to lead them. And I'd want to see a leader walk away and say, well, Susan's a high performer, and my work with her over the next six months is going to be getting her ready for her next role. And Joe is uh, a bit of a slacker, and I've got to work with him to find his motivation, and here are the projects I'm going to give him to work that out. And just really put together that tactical plan for every member of their team for not just how much time is the leader going to spend with them, but also what is that time going to be spent on? And that time to be spent on furthering the development and the performance improvement of those individuals. If somebody walks away from the book having done that, I will be ecstatic. Cool. So it sounds like the other common myth you're really combating is the idea that if I'm a good leader, I spend the same amount of time with everybody, that it's fair. Yeah, I I think that's a horrible idea. And and (laughs) probably one of the best ways that a, a great analog here, right, is you think about your investment portfolio, your financial investment portfolio. And are you going to, let's say you had $10,000 to invest. Are you going to invest $1,000 in 10 different stocks? Or are you going to overweight some sectors and underweight others, depending on where you are in your retirement planning? And of course, the answer is you're going to allocate appropriately. So you're going to have some sectors you're going to put more money into, other sectors you're going to pull money out of. And over time, that allocation will change as your needs change. So the analog here is as your team changes. When you look at your team, you're going to have to overinvest in some people, underinvest in others, because they don't need as much of your help. And then as the team changes and improves, you're going to shift the allocation of your time and energy. So that's why we call it leadership capital, the time and energy that a leader has, because it's an investment, and you've got to be deliberate about how you make those investments. Makes perfect sense. It, It just seems important to note that we are shifting the way some people think about equity and fairness to, to a, um, tying my time to strategic benefit, delivering business results, and acknowledging that I'm in, I could be in a different place than you are today, and that will shift over time. Yeah, and I think when you look at the notion of fairness, it's what's fair in terms of are you giving that person what they need? Mm-hmm. So if I'm a high performer... And you're saying, well, Mike, you know, I'm giving everybody on the team two hours a week, so you and I are going to sit down for two hours and talk about your projects. I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> it's like, boss, get out of my hair. Like, I got this. I don't need two hours of your time. I don't want two hours of your time. What I want is 30 minutes for you to clear this one obstacle I've got, and the rest of the time, rather than updating you, I'm going to go out and drive results. Mm-hmm. And that's fair to me. That's how I want to be led. So I think you're spot on to say we can't tie fairness to a stopwatch. Mm-hmm. It's more career goals and organizational goals. Yeah. So as a leader, I'm busy, and here's one more thing for me to add to my to-do list. Why am I going to pick this book over everything else I have to do? Well, this is one of those investments where you make it now, and it's going to help you find that time to get all this other stuff done. Let's say you have a team of high performers. You've got 
high-high performers and two low performers. And let's say you're giving everybody two hours a week in your current status quo. So you're spending 14 hours a week with this team. If you read the book and you realize, gee, my high performers don't need as much of my time, and I've got five of them and I'm spending 10 hours on them every week, can I scale that back to four hours or two and a half hours and spend less time with them, give them the room they need, and then take all those other hours and work on all the other things i got to get done. Maybe reinvest a few of those hours in my lower performers, Mm -hmm. but then I'm still going to have five or six incremental hours that I was wasting previously on low-return investment in those high performers. I'm just wasting their time in micromanaging them. So that's why I look at it and say it's one of those, if you invest the time now to go through the method and really think about it and turn it into a habit, you're going to save time down the road. Got it. That makes perfect sense. So, so I shift from over-managing, in some cases, my high performers, um, reallocate some of that time to my low performers, and some of the other time I reallocate to actually doing the work of making the company money, yeah. keeping or our customers happy. my life back, right? Mm-hmm. And leaving the office before 10 p.m. Yeah, yeah. So if, I, if you were to give me the top three to five takeaways – um, what would those be? I, I think the first ends up being you need to get a good understanding of how you are allocating your time. I think it's something we just show up at the office and we let our calendar run our lives mm-hmm. rather than being much more deliberate around here's how I'm going to spend my time and the outcomes that I'm going to drive toward. I think the second ends up being looking at team member results, <clears throat> but much more broadly than just how many widgets did Joe make today, it's how many widgets, were they timely, what was the quality of them, and then what are the sort of softer things around Joe in terms of his results, like does he improve the team, does he improve morale, does he build relationships with his stakeholders? So just really changing and expanding the notion of what results are, I think that would be the second mm-hmm. thing. Then the third is the necessity of laying out that plan, that individual development plan, and not just saying here's what I want Joe to do differently, it's here's what I want Joe to do differently, and here's what I, as his leader, am going to do differently in terms of how I spend my time with him and how I invest with him, because I need to change my own behaviors, too. And and that's a core element of the book. So many leadership books out there and leadership frameworks just look at the individual, and they say, well, the individual's the problem. The team member's the problem, so let's fix them. And what we're saying is, The team member is half of the problem. The leader is the other half. And you have to look at your own behaviors and how they are driving the performance of your team members as well. Um, So it's a dual commitment to change. So those are the three things that I really push toward taking away from the book. I think that last one really resonates a lot with me is the idea that as a leader, I need to be working on improving myself as well as the employees who work with me or for me. That, that it's not all about them. It, it's how I lead drives their results, which shouldn't seem like new news, but it's fascinating working with executives often who say, go, go fix them for me and tell me when it's done, rather than what do I need to do to change as well. Yeah, exactly. And it, and it, doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't matter how good of a leader you are, you're going to impact the way your team performs. Uh, and, and one of the best examples I've got is from my personal experience. I was a high performer in the organization. I was doing well. I had the ratings. 
how to demonstrate a track record. And I ended up on this one project with a leader who I just did not get along with. And he overmanaged me, and he was micromanaging. He was a little bit insulting about my work. And eventually, I went from being a rising star in our framework um, that we've got in, in this book. I went from being a rising star to a slacker, where it was just like, you know what, forget it. I, I don't care anymore. You're going to be micromanaging me anyway. I'm just going to mail it in. And my mm-hmm. performance deteriorated dramatically. Um, and, and granted, I own some of this, right? It was, mm-hmm. Some of it was my reaction to the situation, but uh, half of it was his reaction to how he was leading me. And it created a pretty caustic environment. Then you turn around and I go on my next project and I had a different leader and she was fantastic. And she called me out on being a slacker and I said, you're <laughs> right. And we put together a plan for improvement and I started hitting my milestones. And as I started delivering, she started backing off and giving me the room that I wanted. And I, and I turned performance around. But so much of that situation was driven by the way the leader was treating me as a member of his team that started this downward spiral. You know, it's interesting when we treat um, our human employees as if they're interchangeable cogs and don't um, tailor how we're, how we're leading and managing them. We really can disable, especially super high performers, who um, don't respond well to um, being told what to do and how to do it. And yeah. we lose a lot of capacity. We do. And, you know, you think about the high performers you work with, they want your job or a job mm-hmm. at your level, right? They're, yeah. they're trying to grow. And for them to have that growth, you've got to give them the runway. You've got to give them the space so they can build skills and try things. And sometimes they're going to fail. And just get out of their hair. Now, give them the resources they need. And when they come to you with problems, that's when you got to help them out. But those are situations where we got to step back. And there's a few reasons leaders don't step back. One is, well, I'm a control freak, and I'm the only one who knows how to do it perfectly. The second is, I feel threatened by Joe, so I'm going to assert my authority over him and keep him in his position and you know, in, because I'm insecure in mine. Um, and then the third is, I just don't know how to lead a high performer. I'm not, I'm not comfortable with the mm-hmm. notion of giving people space. Yeah, so this ties back to your example at the outset of the, the conference that you led and giving each of us the freedom to, to do our presentation and field questions in a way that was unique um, to us and played to our strengths, but certainly didn't present a, a consistent image of your company. So you had already chosen um, to give us a bit of runway and that you were willing to deal with the um, complexities that that could cause as well as the benefits. Yeah, and, and it's that fine line to say, where do I need control and where do I need to give control? So when you think about that situation, all the instructors had their presentations, and I was insistent that everybody sends me their presentation ahead of time, and I'm going to do all the formatting because we need to look like one firm. Mm-hmm. And I'm maniacal and meticulous around <laughs> the branding piece of it. And everybody sent me their decks, and I was like, look, I am the final approval authority on this, and I was very controlling on that. Not necessarily from their content but from the structure of the presentations as well as the visual look and feel. Then in terms of the presentation itself, it was, hey, it's 60 minutes. Here's the general structure I want from you. I want 45 minutes of 
presentation and 15 a Q&A. And at 15 minutes and one second, you're done because we have a schedule to maintain. So, you know, it was that balance to say, I need control here. I need to seed control here. And I got to get comfortable with it. And I'll confess, I was uncomfortable right up until the minute, you know, the <laughs> first couple presentations started. I was like, okay, well, it's out of my control now. And it went great. And I learned a lot, and I got better at giving up control that day because it affirmed that I had hired well and brought on really capable people. So what do you do in yourself to nurture that capacity to step back from control? You know, I I think it ends up being just that track record helps you do it to say, okay, I've hired a lot of instructors over the years, and I've been right almost every single time. So I'm going to trust that I was right again on this one. Um, the second is really understanding um, what can you do to mitigate damage. So mm-hmm. this example was probably a bad one for, for that. You know, where I have a presenter on stage, it's not like I can jump up on stage and go, <laughs> okay, so you're done, and now I'm going to take <laughs> over. Right? That wouldn't work so well. But if you think about the workplace, if you've got a high performer and you say, I'm going to let Joe run the project, well, there are a lot of check-in points where you can insert yourself into that process and know what the trigger points are where you say, if something is going in this direction, I'm going to insert myself. But if it's within that tolerance, I need to you know, keep my distance. So when you put those guardrails in place, it allows you to say as a leader, it's still within my parameters that mm-hmm. I'm comfortable with. Um, it may not be going exactly how I want, but it's still within my tolerance levels. As soon as it gets outside of tolerance, I have every right to step in and intervene. Mm -hmm. And that's when you can start really getting comfortable around how that should work. Because it seems like that's one of the biggest challenges for leaders is how do I learn to step away and manage my own discomfort um, with giving people more control? Because if they mess it up, I still look bad. Yeah, exactly. And, And... the flip side of that is saying, yeah, but if I let them go, awesome things happen. And it only takes a few times where awesome things happen mm-hmm. um, for you to say this is a good thing. So I look back at my firm several years ago, and I was involved in every single sales phone call. I was on every single email when we were talking to clients or prospective clients, and I was involved in that entire process. And I said, okay, i got to step back from this. I don't have the time to do it. And these folks are, you know, I'm getting comfortable that they know how to position us and how to have these conversations because I'm, I'm letting them have the conversations. Mm-hmm. And I started stepping back. And now it's to a point where I get emails from, from you folks. It's like, hey, got another gig, you know, signed it up, and uh, why don't you put the contract together? It's like, awesome, right? <laughs> it's like no effort on my part. And they're having fun, and I'm giving them the space, but it's something that they earned over time, and I learned over time. And I think that that is one of the key points, at least to me, is um, between starting this process and ending up where you are now, I have to manage my own anxiety, um, build my own my own confidence in my people, and... Um, understand that we will collectively be a lot better off once I change again myself as a leader, not only once I change my people. Yeah. 
And I, I think it, there's also a little bit of maturity that has to come along with it to say control is an illusion. It absolutely is. And once, once you accept that into your life and say, I really have no control, I have the illusion of control, but I really have no control, um, that really goes a long way in freeing you up to say, okay, I can do everything that I can think of to control this, but ultimately it's, it's going to play out the way it plays out. I, I think another piece of that whole control piece is really saying, well, what is the worst that's going to happen? Well, we don't get a sale. Okay. And nobody dies, right? And it's, it's having that broader perspective to say, did we learn something? Mistakes happen. They're going to happen. You're not going to prevent all of them. So when they do, how do you react? Do you fix them and do you move forward? Do you learn from them? Um, and, and that just comes with time is that willingness to accept failure and learn from it and that willingness to seed control because you don't really have it in the first place. I mean, heck, I, I thought I had pretty good control of my life until I had a heart attack and then I thought I had that under control and a year and a half later I had a second one. It's like, really? You know, control is an illusion. It's kind of a joke. Um, you just got to accept that, and it makes things a lot easier to handle day to day. And yet having a heart attack is a pretty tough way to to reinforce that control is an illusion idea. Yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't exactly advocate that for people <laughs> as a way to learn that lesson, um, but I tend to be a little more thick-headed, so I, I sort of had it coming. Well, so, so you're learning from everything, though. Okay, so we're going to go to break. Um, this is Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations, and our guest is Mike Figliolo talking about his book, Lead Inside the Box, How Smart Leaders Guide Their Teams to Exceptional Results. We'll be back after a break. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel. 
If you want to learn how to be a better leader, increase your level of business performance, and motivate your team and organization more effectively, listen for Performing at Your Best, Mindset Evolution with Luis Vicente Garcia. Luis Vicente and his guests will share their expertise and enthusiasm in helping you to succeed. It's combining that drive with business skills that will do just that. Tune in live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. And again, we are with guest Mike Figliolo, who wrote the book, Lead Inside the Box, How Smart Leaders Guide Their Teams to Exceptional Results. Mike's been talking to us about his book and also about his leadership philosophy and personal experiences. So, Mike, let's talk about what guidance you would give leaders based on your um, wide range of experience within the Army and within corporations and now running your own firm. I think one of the things that I see in common across a lot of leaders I coach and teach is they struggle making the shift from doing to asking and setting guidance. So as you progress as a leader, you're not expected to have the answers necessarily anymore. And you should be more comfortable asking questions and setting direction and setting guidance for the team. And the leaders who do that well, who can step back and say, I have no earthly idea what the answer to this is, which means it's probably a good question that we haven't thought of yet. And having that confidence, that comfort asking those things rather than drilling down into the numbers and knowing all the details, that, that's not what you get paid for as a leader. And I constant, constantly see leaders struggle to make mm-hmm. that shift. I, I think the way leaders can make that shift is, one, trusting that the members of your team do have those answers, and then, two, reminding yourself very poignantly that that's no longer your role. Mm-hmm. And I've coached some leaders, hey, I want you to go into a meeting, and I want you to ask two questions that you have no idea what the answers are. And they kind of freak out a little bit when you first tell them to do that. But when they start doing it and getting comfortable with it, it's really interesting to see the way that they're shaping the conversation by leading a line of inquiry. Leading inquiry versus dictating answers. Yeah, exactly. Right, and and it also helps their teams develop because then mm-hmm. their teams can start formulating the answers and the recommendations, and they feel empowered to lead their own part of the organization versus being told what to do. Right, and and those leaders who are more dictatorial in terms of mm-hmm. saying, "Here are your tasks. Here are your expectations," and and here's exactly how I want you to do it. That's not a fun environment to work in. It's not very creative. It's not very inspiring. It, I refer to that as leading with the mind of the scientist, that that I'm um, as excited about learning and growing and exploring, and I don't need the answers because I can come up with a hypothesis and conduct solid experiments. So I still have value. I'm not just asking my team, and yet my value is 
constructing the experiment rather than having the answers. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great analog. And again, it gets back to your earlier example, and I'm sure many others that you have, that as you're running an experiment that is controlled, so you've talked about being within um, tolerance, that um, good scientists don't kill themselves, right? So I come up with, (laughs) those would be dead scientists. Um, Yeah, so as I come up with an experiment as a leader, like your idea of going into a meeting and asking two questions that I don't know the answer to, the worst thing I can do is slightly embarrass myself. I'm not going to blow up the company. Yeah, exactly. So if you think about your legacy as a leader, um, what's that going to be? I know you've got a few years to go if you stop having heart attacks. <laughs> I hope so. You know, I, <laughs> Maybe decades, I I, my friend. I'd, I'd love my... Uh, I'd love my legacy to just be a a lot of new thinking, new ways of approaching leadership and leadership skills is one. So just a body of knowledge that I'm helping create or I'm asking the right questions that are leading others to create that body of knowledge. And then the second is being able to point back and say, see all those leaders who are doing all these wonderful things. I had some part of helping them get there, whether whether it was asking them questions and getting them to have their own little epiphanies, uh, having them seek out careers that were going to be fulfilling for them or roles where they're going to be able to excel. I want to be able to see little pieces of my influence um, showing up in leaders all over the world. And, and you sit there and say, wow, you're in Columbus, Ohio, and you're talking about building a global company and having global reach. And it's like, yeah. I've been lucky enough to have opportunities to teach in Vietnam, Colombia, Saudi Arabia, Ireland, and, you know, it just continues to grow. And it's really fascinating to watch these large global organizations that I get to work with um, bring their people costs for training, for development, for coaching, and being able to have that broader impact across these global organizations. So for me, that's, that's kind of the professional legacy side of things and then the personal legacy side ends up being i've got three amazing kids and i want them to be more impactful better people than i ever thought i could be and uh so far all three of them are living up to that promise that's pretty cool so global company how how do you get from living in columbus ohio and working there to um working internationally with top corporations? That, that seems pretty significant. Yeah, I think one is our choice of client and the, the way we look at our market. So I tend to be very focused strategically and say, this is our market, these are our products, these are our clients and what they should look like. And I stay really rigorous in terms of our activities from a business development, a selling standpoint, a product development standpoint, as we go after those clients. And when you do that, we've made a decision that we're going after large corporates. And many of them are U.S. only, but many are also global. So that's the first step is just getting into that, getting onto that stage. Second is um, building our products such that they can be used around the world. So the training classes and the coaching and the leadership work that we do is applicable to any of those organizations, wherever they are in the world. And that enables our clients to then take us global. So 
we've sort of ridden on the coattails of working with large multinationals and global, truly global corporations um, to put us in front of their associates around the world. And we've also been lucky enough to have organizations find us via um, our blog and our books, and they reach out to us and say, hey, it looks like you got some great stuff. You want to come over to Saudi Arabia and teach? It's like, yeah, sure, that would be awesome. And for people who don't know Mike and his blog, he blogs every week. He has guest bloggers every few days now, right? Yeah, so we have one guest a week and one poll a week and one of my posts a week. And I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who reference your post not even knowing that we know one another. It's just really good stuff. Yeah, that's always uh, that's always fun and interesting when people are like, oh, I came across this awesome post. You're like, uh, yeah, I wrote that. Um, <laughs> one of the funniest ones was I was uh, being interviewed to be an executive coach for somebody, and I went in their office, and I turned around, and I looked at their bookshelf, and my first book was on their shelf, one piece of paper. Uh, was on their shelf, and I pulled it out. I'm like, oh, it's cool. You got my book. And he's like, what? I was like, I wrote this. And I opened up the back book jacket, and my face is there. He's like, oh, my gosh, I didn't even realize. <laughs> uh, so it's pretty funny. Somebody else had given him the book and told him uh, they highly recommended it. So it was a, a neat little moment. That's really cool. So, so let's shift gears a little bit to um, how do you work with organizations? You talked about large multinationals. Uh, what do you do? Yeah, so we run leadership development training courses for the most part. I'd say probably 85% of our practice is in-classroom training, and we run training classes that are either full day or half day, and we do things like communication, decision-making, problem-solving. And I like to say we teach people the skills they need that nobody ever taught them. And I love getting to teach and being on the podium, having instructors on the podium, because we build our stuff such that it's really relevant and applicable and practical to their day jobs. And our courses are all highly interactive. People are doing a lot of exercises in the classroom. They're applying the tools and the models and the methods. So that's most of how we work with clients. We also do a little bit of consulting, a little bit of executive coaching, but the real mainstay is that in-classroom training to build their skills. And um, when we write content, we make sure it's industry agnostic and functionally agnostic, and it will cut across all levels and functions of the organizations, which gives us a really broad pool that we can go in and work with. And you mentioned earlier that, that it is also able to go international, so it's written in a way that's culturally sensitive? Absolutely, absolutely. And and when we lay out a framework, we've had enough experience globally with organizations to be able to say, okay, here's how this framework would apply if you're using it in the U.S., here's how it would apply if you're using it in Asia. And then if we're not sure how it would apply, if we're in, say, a new culture, we ask and say, okay, how do you think this applies? And all of our instructors are pretty seasoned business people. Mm-hmm. So we can have that business conversation, that cultural conversation live and on the fly in the classroom. Um, and it turns into a pretty robust discussion. And we learn in that moment and the participants learn in that moment. And those are uh, really great opportunities for us. 
I was working with a client recently, and we were trying to take some training on um, becoming an agile organization into Europe and into Asia. And one of the biggest concerns for the client was making sure that the trainers were culturally sensitive because what works in California doesn't necessarily work in China. Absolutely. So um, how do you think about training and development? Tell, tell me a little bit more about your philosophy. Yeah, I, so much training ends up being really theoretical, very academic, and it's great and it's thought-provoking when you're in the classroom, and then you walk out of there and you go, okay, i got stuff to do, and this stuff is too complicated, and I'm not going to use it. So when we design programs, first, we make sure there's pull, and we won't build a class unless we have multiple clients come to us and say, do you teach anything about X? And when I get a few clients asking for X, then I know there's a real need for it that their people have. And then when we build it, we make it really simple. We make the frameworks and the tools, they're like five-step processes or seven-step processes. They're really simple tools. And all of our classes can be boiled down to a single page. And the reason I'm so insistent on that is I want people to apply it. If I give them a 40-step process, they're going to put it on the bookshelf. If I give them a five-step process, they're going to use it all the time. And I know it works. I, you know, I've been back to clients five years later, and people pull out those one-page cheat sheets, and they say, you don't remember me, but I remember you, and I use it all the time. And it's like that's success for me. When people are applying the methods that we're teaching them in the classroom, that means they're getting the return on the investment they made. Do you quantify that return on investment? I know you're rigorous about measuring um, client satisfaction with classes. What else? Yeah, you-, you know, it's one of those things that's just so hard to quantify, right? Like, how, do you, how are you going to quantify leadership short of doing a massive longitudinal study, which we don't mm-hmm. have the resources to do or the interest in doing? Um, the way I've always said it is you go to the class. When people walk out of the class saying, I'm going to use this, I see how it applies to my job, and I want to tell other people to come to it, and then the client pays to bring us back, Mm -hmm. then it's being used. That's my measurement. That's my yardstick to say, is this stuff successful? Well, and you talked about going back five years later and people remember you and talk about the impact you've made on their lives. Yeah, and those are great moments when you walk back to a client location and People are waving at you in the hallways, and you're getting hugs, and they're all excited to see you, and they're asking, who are you teaching today? And they're asking, oh, I didn't know you were going to be in. Can I get in your next class? It, and that's having an impact for me. Mm-hmm. That's saying that what we're teaching is meaningful and relevant, and it's helping people be better leaders. And that better leadership drives all the way through the organization. Yeah, absolutely. Now, most of your training is done at client sites with intact work groups, yes? Um, so at client sites, yes. And in terms of intact work groups, sometimes we do open enrollment stuff, and sometimes it's intact teams. Okay. Uh, it's just a different dynamic in the classroom uh, in those different situations. But both of them were great. And I actually love the ones where they're open enrollment, cross-functional kind of mm-hmm. situations because mm-hmm. people get to meet people from across the organization and learn from one another. And that, again, is driving a cultural shift, not just a skills shift. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. We are coming to the end of our segment. We've got a couple minutes left. What would you like to share in closing? 
I think so many folks don't invest enough time in thinking about leadership. They don't carve out the time for themselves to think about how am I interacting with members of my team. They get sucked into the day-to-day, the status updates, and, you know, the operational results of the business. And those things are important, but you've got to carve out the time on your calendar, and I call it think time, to sit there and think about, hey, where are we going as an organization? What's the five-year plan? What's my development plan for my associates? And and asking yourself those big questions, because if you're not asking them, nobody else is going to be. Everybody else is so focused on the operations. So I'd love to see leaders just carving out a little bit more of that time to do that deeper thought about how they're leading the members of their team. Thank you very much. I, you know, as you say that and talk about what's the development plan for my associates, what's also my own development plan? How do I become a more effective leader? And that's a lot of what this show is intended for is, is those leaders. And I think you've given us some, a lot of rich ideas to think about and take back to our own work. How do I look at the range of my employees as that um, stock portfolio and invest my time as they need from me rather than the idea of equity? So, yeah, exactly. So we're going to wrap up. I want to thank everyone for joining us for the second Voice America Leadership Show. Uh, Hope you have found this conversation helpful and that you will be implementing some of these ideas in your own um, environment um, based on what you heard from Mike. Um, I want to hear your feedback, as always, on how you are applying these ideas. So if you try something that Mike suggested, send me an email at info at metcalf-associates.com and or follow Mike's blog. Um, look under thoughtleadersllc.com. Um, you can also go to this website and there will be a link to his information. So in times of change, um, how are you as a leader focusing on continually building your skills to leverage the changes we're facing? Um, Consider the impact that you are having on the world now. Just as Mike talked about his legacy, what is yours? Today's your opportunity to consider your own ability to function as an innovative leader and identify action items to improve your skills and success. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 